Open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. And this evening we have the joy of celebrating the Lord's table. Is it a celebration when it is a remembrance of his death? Can it be other, anything other than a celebration when it is a remembrance of our life? Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> the message tonight is entitled, The Day We Died. And it is a preparation and a meditation on the Lord's table. Genesis 2 verse 17. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Genesis 2. is a summary of the sixth day of creation found in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we have six days. Verse 5 is day 1. Verse 8 is day 2. Verse 13 is day 3. Verse 19, 4. Verse 23 is day 5. Verse 31 is day 6. In chapter 1, you can put the numbers right down the side of your Bible to always follow them quickly. And in those six days of creation, we have on day 1, the light was created before the light bearers. In day 2, we have a separation made between the matter, unformed matter, on the earth. And that matter which is out in the rest of the universe, stars and galaxies. There's a separation, a sky. The atmosphere was created on day two. On day three, that matter that was in the place underneath the atmosphere was collected together and formed into the earth that we have. Mountains and rocks. Terrain, cliffs, oceans. On day four, there's a change. Because now we have the creation of light-bearing bodies. The stars, the sun, the moon. It's remarkable that in day five, in verse, <clears throat> sorry, day four, that he says in verse 16, he made the stars also. <laughs> you have multiple days given to the creation of the earth, and then for all of the stars and the sun and the moon, and the galaxies. Oh, he made those as well. 
people who are obsessed with UFOs need to realize that the Bible is not. He made the stars and let's move on to earth. In day five, he makes fishes and birds. In day six, he makes animals and man. At the end of these days, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. But at the end of the sixth day, in verse 31, what does he say? It is very good. At the end of the sixth day, his creation was very good. Chapter 2 is a summary of chapter 1, the sixth day. Or an amplification, an explanation of it. How is it that God made man? That's what happens in chapter 2, verse 7, when it says, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And God set man in a garden, the east of Eden. He made that garden and he put Adam there. And he gave him a job to tend as a farmer. There was work before there was sin. Unconverted cultures and cultures that do not have the influence of the Bible believe that work is bad. And so they look for any way to get away from work. A mark of true Christianity is a love for good hard work. We're not afraid if we work in an office to pick up a pick or a shovel. We're not afraid if we have a pick and a shovel to work hard with a book or a pen. But then the Lord warns Adam in verses 16 and 17 before Eve arrives, and Eve's name is going to be woman until she sins. In verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2, the Lord God tells the man, you may eat from any tree. He's not yet eating meat. But in verse 17, do not eat from that tree. In verses 18 to 24, we have the creation of woman. Adam calls her woman. He names her. She is his helper. She was taken from him, brought to him, named by him. They are to work together, but he is clearly the head. He must warn her that God gave a law, and the law was don't eat from that tree. And he did his job, at least in part. Because in chapter 3, when the woman is tempted by the serpent, she says, but wait a minute, that tree, I remember something about that tree. We can't eat it from it or touch it. So Adam did his job and he told her. Or did he do his job? Did he guard her from the temptation? I would like to explain today verse 17. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. 
And the message has two points. They died. And what happened after? Those are the points. And with that, I hope our hearts will be prepared to take this bread and to take this juice and to remember our union with Christ. First point in the sermon, they died. In Genesis chapter 3, they ate the fruit. And theologians like to ask the question, and should ask the question, how did they die since Adam and Eve continued to live for nine Hundred years after Genesis 3. Did they die physically the day that they ate from the fruit? Did they die spiritually the day that they ate from the fruit? Did they die mentally? Did they die relationally? Are those different from one another? Or are those the same thing? Let me begin at the beginning. They died physically. How can I say that? Are you dying right now? Are you dying? If you're over 30, you are. Because your peak is about 24 years old. The body begins to decay after it reaches its peak. In another sense, you're dying because you have one less day now than you had yesterday. You're moving toward death. Defining the word death is not nearly as difficult as defining the word dying. I believe they died physically in that death was introduced into their system. Did they die? Yes, in the sense that Adam and Eve's perfect bodies from that time began to spiral downward. Their strength, their health, their knees, their joints, their arthritis, the color of their hair, the weight of their stomachs, those things would begin to deteriorate. Their memory their mind, their relationship. We know this is true because go over to chapter 5. In chapter 5, you can underline these phrases. Last words of verse 5, and he died. The last words of verse 8, and he died. The last words of verse 11, and he died. The last words of verse 14, and he died. Again, verse 17, verse 20, verse 27, verse 31. Nine documented deaths. Do you think chapter 5 is trying to tell us something? Those people did die. When did their dying begin? Genesis 2, 17. Physical death was introduced. It wasn't completed in Genesis 2.17 because it's not even completed today. We're still going on dying. If you're listening to me, you're still in the process of fulfilling Genesis 2.17. But death was introduced physically. What kind of pain began 
when death was introduced. Have you ever sat with a grandmother or grandfather as their life slowly ebbed away? There was a time when they were young and healthy like you are. And now they can't even get out of that bed. And you come to visit them every week or month. And each time you see them, they're not quite as sharp as they were before. You have to help them bend over. You have to bring something to them or bring more things. Then you have to help brush their teeth. And the loss of dignity that comes and the exhaustion and the constant emotional strain is all a reminder that they died. Adam and Eve introduced death and it's coming on all of us. Have you ever looked at your grandma or your grandfather or your uncle or your aunt and thought, I wish it wasn't like this. Let's be very honest with ourselves. Have you ever looked at that and thought silently, I think I'll wait next time before I come back to visit them. Because honestly, it's painful and ugly to see someone who used to be so strong and beautiful deteriorate. Have you ever seen a child eaten away by leukemia? Have you ever seen a child who had cancer? I preached at the funeral of a 23-year-old young man who lived for five years with a brain tumor that was cancerous in Magangani. We baptized him about two years before he died. And then he slowly went into eternity and I preached at his funeral. And the pain to watch this young man who before he was 18 played sports and since he was 18 until he was 23 slowly sat in that wheelchair, unable to move. And his body became very heavy because he can't do anything but eat. And his mind is sharp. And he would have spiraled into depression if Christ hadn't come and saved Chris. Have you ever seen... Someone suffer from a tragic accident. Have you ever seen someone who was deformed at birth? But all these that I mention are now natural in the sense that now the world has death introduced to it. It also affects animals. Have you seen a deformed cat or dog? Our dog died from parvo. We didn't realize it had it. When I took it to the vet, they said, it's, it's too far gone. He's just going to have to die. And for the last few hours, the pain that was in that poor animal... Have you ever seen this kind of pain just reach out and you think, this isn't right, I don't even like it, I want to get away from this. 
That's why we have funeral homes. Because no one even likes to be in the presence of the final result of death in even one body. But it's in all of our bodies and it's working. And it's going onward. That's why the medical profession is such a huge amount of the economy. And will always be because we despise death. And we look back at what our parents did and say, honestly, I won't put it into words, but I hate you for what you did. You trapped me here where I am. Like the young man, well, the older man who at 40 or 50 said, I hate that man who at 20 years old trapped me into the profession that I'm in now. You look back at Adam and Eve and say, it's because of you that we're here. And I wish we could get out of this. I wish animals didn't suffer and humans didn't suffer and poverty wasn't everywhere. Poverty, that should bring us to the second sub point. Because the physical death that was brought on brought crime. It brought problems in our relationships. Because some people are weak, some people are tired, some people are poor. Now we have tension between man and man. And that brings us to murder, assault, violent attacks from one man to another. It began right away. Are you in Genesis 5 still? Look down at Genesis 5. In verse 29. I'm sorry, Genesis 5. Oh, it's in Genesis 4. Genesis 4, what am I thinking? Genesis chapter 4. And verse 23, 4.23, pardon me. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Hearken to my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. Lamech is the first, the first murderer outside his family. We have Cain who murdered Abel but Lamech who goes to another family, another place, and brings pain. That reminds us of the pain of these terrible, violent situations that we don't want to describe because we don't want to dwell on gore. But we do want to understand what it is to live in a world that has had death introduced into it. That may be perfectly as exemplified in the persecutions brought on believers when Isaiah the prophet was sawn in half, when Jeremiah was thrown in a well, and he would have died down there if a man had not pulled him up. <clears throat> Many of the prophets were slain. Joash even killed prophet son of Jehoiada, who warned him about his sin. 
And we see that over and over. That's the history of mankind in the Catholic Inquisition when they killed Protestants in tortuous ways. I have a painting in my house in a book of Protestants whose hands were tied behind their backs. A hook was attached to the hand and it was raised up until the body was hanging over a fire. Let that stand for all. The hundreds and thousands of martyrs through the history of the church and the ten primitive persecutions under the Roman emperors from 100 to 300 AD. And then in the persecutions under Muslims. Then in the persecutions under the Catholic Church. Today the persecutions under communism and still again and again under Islam. The world died, meaning this world is, is out of control. It's spiraling downward. There's thorns all around us. Beautiful tar roads that are made get potholes because death was introduced. Marriages that start in beauty and romance and kisses and love end tragically in what might be the greatest pain known to man. The tearing out of a human heart after it's been bound together to another life that you had thought, I only have these few days and I think I can trust myself to him. I think I can trust her with my heart. And you bond and bind yourself with that person. And then the pain is it's torn apart in divorce. Or war. Or the famine. Two great modern famines. One in Ethiopia. Within the last 70 years, and then 20 years later, the famine in the Ukraine, both of them were caused by man. Man's foolish and wicked political decisions created a famine where hundreds and thousands of people died in Ethiopia and then in Europe. It happened again in China under Mao Zedong. These are documented by a man named Rummel, professor at the University of Hawaii in his book, Death by Government. What a sad position to live under. Look at our world. Crime is out of control. The burglar bars on every window testify to crime out of control. Spiraling out of control. Our health professionals will tell us what happens on holidays at their hospitals, they have an increase of violent, of, of incidents caused by violence from alcohol, drugs. The day you eat of it, you will die physically, spiritually. I had thought to deal with these individually, but I don't know how I can. The things I've just described are all elements of spiritual death. But what, everything I've said now doesn't get to the real heart of things. You see, when man ate the fruit, they died spiritually and were separated from God. There began a rift, a separation, a moving apart of God and man who previously had had perfect fellowship. In Genesis chapter 3 it says, God walked in the cool of the day in the garden 
looking for the man. That means it was his habit, his custom to walk with man every day. Can you imagine? Imagine the glory of having a daily walk with God and your wife. You've never fought, ever. You can't even understand the concept of a lie. You have no word in your vocabulary for lie or fight or raising your voice, except possibly raising your voice in laughter. Wouldn't you like to go back to a place like that? You have a daily walk with God. There's no poverty. You have a perfect wife. The wife has a perfect husband. The only thing you know is laughter. You don't even have words for sin. What is that? I, I can't even... A sin. What when someone... Why would I can't understand that. C.S. Lewis pictures this perfectly in his book Paralandra, where he describes a world with Eve, where the Satan, Satan comes in to tempt Eve. What would that world have been like? She can't even understand the word for deceive or turn or disobey or rebel. Brothers and sisters, into that world was introduced this great gap, this chasm, this valley that's impassable and impossible to overcome. It can't be jumped across. It can't be traversed. We can't get down one side and ever up the other. This gap is so immense that in James it even says, God is our enemy. In Ephesians it says there is this word. It's an old English word, but it's still used in all the modern translations. Enmity. Have you ever seen that word in your English Bible? Enmity. What does that word enmity mean? Deep Seated hatred. Can you imagine deep-seated hatred? Deep-seated hatred. That's what existed between you and God. When Genesis 2.17 says, The day they eat of it, they will die. That deep-seated hatred was placed between God and man. And the history of the world is the history of that deep-seated hatred. The history of kings and governments, of families and laws, is a history of that. The day you eat of it, you will die. That's the first point. They died. But the second point is what happened after. You were in the sight of God an enemy and a criminal, and not any common enemy and criminal, a repeat offender. A repeat offender who knew the law. You might have mercy on someone who didn't know. But in Romans 1 verse 21, God says they knew. In chapter 2, he said, I wrote my law on their hearts. They knew. I told Eve. I told Adam. And just so you know for sure, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, it says, the man knew what he was doing. He did it eyes wide open. He said, I'm going to choose to disobey. 
And into that scenario, God decided to solve the problem. To cast out a cord and pull man back. God decided to fill up the chasm's hole with enough solid material to make a bridge to walk across. God decided to bridge the gap. He decided to build a span. He was the one who said, I'll go to man. And he didn't build a large, wide bridge that goes halfway. He built a narrow bridge that goes from one side the whole way across. And after building it, he walked across it himself to grab man. And when he did, man shook him off. And man pushed him off until he heard the voice, come. And when he called that way with that still, small voice, your eyes suddenly opened. And you saw the one that was calling you is like a son of man. He's like the fourth man in the fire. You saw suddenly that his eyes were like a flame of fire. His hair was white like wool. His feet and his hands were like bronze. Maybe the, the polished look of this wood in front of us. And you knew immediately, this man is above me and beyond me. And he reached out and touched you. Like he touched the man who had the contagious leprosy. And he didn't wear a mask when he did it. He reached right down to you in your filth and mire. A number of years ago, I read a story in North Korea that one of the ways they persecuted Christians was by throwing them into open, raw sewage. Not only is it a terrifying thought to your mind, so it's mental torture. Raw human waste can eat away the skin and of course send many Diseases, germs, and bacteria. One of the people was pulled out and saved. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going to someone in that scenario and reaching your hands into that filth to get them out? He did. But in the North Korea example I gave, you might have enough grace to say, I'll go there and save that person from dying. But what if that person hated you and was in their own mess that they had made and voluntarily jumped into their own mess just to get away from you? Then would you go and reach into that mire and muck and pull them out? Would you get in with them to push them out? Would you take their place? That's what he did. That's what happened. 
That's the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's grace alone. That's saving grace. That's what we do tonight with the bread and the juice. It was Christ who took on flesh, who said, the day they ate of it, they died. But I'm coming to fix that. I'm coming to put life where there was death. I'm coming to put health where there's only sickness and disease. I'm coming to remove the hatred that they brought and they still have. But my cure is so powerful, I will put in their hearts a love for me so that they look with new eyes and new affections. And when they see me, they'll say, I am beautiful. Can you say tonight that you love the Lord Jesus? Can you say tonight that you would gladly get rid of anything you have? You would disrobe yourself of any earthly encumbrance if only you could lay hold on Christ. We were reading in Philippians this month. And in Philippians 3, Paul describes six things that he had. He said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's Philippians 3 verse 5. Those three things were passive. They happened to Paul. Paul couldn't have done anything. His parents caused that Hebrew and Benjamin. And they circumcised him when he was a baby. All those things happened to Paul. And he said, I was tempted to trust in those things. I didn't even do anything. That's as foolish as we are. We think we're so good because of the color of our eyes. The size of our arms. Or the brain that you have. You were given all of that. Paul lists three more things in Philippians 3. He says, I persecuted the church. I was righteous according to the law and I was a Pharisee. I had all those three things that I did. Okay, fine. Hebrew, Benjamite, that was from my parents. But me, I was the self-made man. I chose to be a Pharisee. I obeyed the laws. I'm a righteous man. Next verse, but what things were gained to me, those I counted as nothing, rubbish, excrement, so that I might, four things, what are the four? So that I might win Christ, gain Christ, so that I might be found in him, so that I might know him, so that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. He looked at all six of those benefits And some secular historians believe that Paul may have been the most educated man alive in the first century. And the most brilliant man alive said, all of this is rubbish so that I might win Christ and be found in him and know him and attain to the resurrection of the dead. And tonight we take this bread and this juice to remember that. The day they ate of it, they died. But Christ has been changing all of that. He changes the spiritual death immediately when you believe on Christ. And he slowly undoes the physical death until when he comes back the second time in glorified bodies. And the lame will walk and the blind will see and the deaf will hear and disease will be banished and there will be no pandemics. When Christ reigns on earth, And then when he takes us into heaven, all the healing that he did when he was here the first time was a down payment proving, I can do it. Trust in me. See, I can heal like this. You put your faith in me and you'll see it again someday. And I say to you tonight, if your heart says amen to this, if you believe and love the Lord Jesus Christ, if this is you, and if you have followed Christ in baptism, then come 
come and welcome to the bread, to the wine. Take this today and know that we are all being made alive again. Genesis 2.17, the day they ate of it, they died. But the day we take hold of Christ, who is the life, remember? I am the way, the truth, and the life. The day we lay hold of Christ, we begin to live. That's John 14.6. We'll get to it in our Sunday morning sermons. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just an hour or two later, he prayed to his father. And this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Brothers and sisters, if you love and know and trust and believe in Christ, if you have been biblically baptized because you're obedient, come and join us tonight. If you've not yet been born again, then watch and be jealous. Covet the best gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you've been born again, you say, I think God's changed me and saved me, but you're not baptized. Watch, watch and talk to me tonight and say, Pastor, I'm ready. I want to be baptized. If you're born again and baptized, but there is a sin, you've fallen back, then you need to deal with that and ask yourself, can I or must I wait because my heart is so full of sin? But may the, may the, the Holy Spirit give us joy in our fellowship together around the table. Let's close our eyes. Oh, Father, strengthen us tonight. Save us, we pray. Save us from our sins, the sins that still remain. Save us from the death. We will all die physically unless you come back and take us to yourself. Give us grace to trust that there is a glorified body waiting after death. There's a glorified body waiting for those who see him when he returns. Give us faith to believe that spiritually death has been killed. Oh, may we trust in Christ and lay hold of Christ and gain him and be found in him. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.